Feel free to have a seat. Hi, everyone. Again, welcome. My name is Matt. It's great to see you all. Um, Thank you for joining us here in the new year. We are starting today a a new kind of three or four week series uh, talking about trusting God. And of course, Scripture has a ton to say about this from the Psalms to Proverbs to warning, instruction, commands, promises, uh uh-oh, examples, good and bad, and of course, uh, the teaching, the life of Jesus, uh, we find that our willingness, oh, sorry, I didn't know if there's something else I should be aware of, Uh, our willingness to trust God with our one and only life, it's, it's a really big deal, and what that looks like in practice. So we can't cover all of that in four weeks, but we'll see what we can do. Um, speaking of trusting God, just by way of, I think, a relevant side note, you know, every year toward the end of the year, uh, we kind of look at the, the budget and we look at uh, what's come in, and I, for one, start to get a little bit nervous because there's kind of a gap and the runway's getting shorter, especially in December, and I look at that number and I go, I don't have that in my bank account. So um, I just want to share the good news with all of you that, of course, because of God's faithfulness, but... You had a role in that because of your generosity. Uh, we finished the year financially in great shape. Uh, our budget, what we need is 684000 and we brought in 691 which is a little more than 7000 above and beyond. And so I just want to celebrate that this morning and really just say thank you. Um, we're grateful to God, but we so appreciate all of your generosity and, and really not just with your with your money, but those of you who give of your, your time, and you volunteer, and you serve, and you really make this possible, this to be a place that we can continue to invite people to find hope in Jesus. So again, uh, thank you to, to everyone. Well, I want to get us started in this series on trust by looking at a psalm. If you have a Bible or you want to turn to or pull up um, Psalm 27, we'll see if that shows up here. Maybe not. Psalm 27. Uh, And I also want to let you know that we're going to be celebrating communion at the end of our time together, and so we'll talk more about that when we get there. Uh, This is a psalm of David. That's who the author is. And I think we find with this, like a lot of the psalms, which are just ancient Hebrew poems or songs, they're actually more relevant to our lives than maybe we, we sometimes think. And if we'll sit with them for a minute and kind of give them some space, what we find is that God actually wants to meet with us uh, in and through this and to speak through us um, through these ancient, ancient songs and poems. So Psalm 27 is a psalm primarily dealing with trust in the midst of fear. And I think we probably all live long enough to experience that in those moments when life seems like it's out of control, there's always fear that comes with that, whether it's the loss of a job and suddenly there's a financial crisis in front of us that we weren't prepared for, or a health issue, or an unexpected phone call that just rocks your world, or something happens to someone we love, or a close relationship has ended and suddenly there are all these new unknowns in our life. Whenever we face loss or potential loss, um, there's fear. It's like really scary Uh, when it looks like we're going to lose something valuable. 
uh, or it's going to be taken away, or we've, we've lost a dream for our future, or whatever it is. Again, there's often fear. Or maybe you're a teenager, and you've had the thing where your parents uh, are kind of on you about your friends. And, you know, you do what we all did when we were 14, 15, 16. We say, but they're my friends, to which your parents say, get some new friends. To which you say, you, you look out on the, like, the world of friends, and you go, there aren't any <laughs> These are the only people I know. These are like, uh, that's it. Um, and of course, to lose them and to move into the unknown and to risk not having friends, that, that's really terrifying. In all of these examples, the reason there's fear, and we can all relate to this, is because we look out into the future and we don't know what's going to happen. And that fear that we feel, it, it causes us to focus on like, the emotions and the what-ifs and the worst-case scenarios, and we exaggerate the negative things that could happen. And I found this to be true in my own life, and I've seen this in others, and maybe you can relate. Whenever there's fear, our perspective gets skewed. Like nothing virtually distorts our perspective on the world, on what's happening, like fear. There's all this emotion that we can't get past, and uh, the temptation, of course, is just to kind of let that take us for a ride. Um, now, why this is important is because these circumstances that involve fear and then how we respond to them can end up, we don't always see this in the moment, but in hindsight, actually being kind of crossroads moments for, for us in our lives. I mean, I know people who've walked away from God, not all at once, not like on Tuesday at 7, Right? But they walked away from their faith gradually over time because of a fear of loss or a fear of some unknown. And maybe you've had a time in your life like that where you knew God was saying, go right, but that direction was scary because I don't know what's going to happen if I do that. Like, I may never get that opportunity again. I may never get another offer. There might not be another person or group of, of, of people out there or friends um, yeah, and so some of you would say, you know what, that's when I parted ways with God. And I didn't think about it at the time that that's what I was doing. But the truth is, I knew, I knew what I should do, but I did the wrong thing because I was afraid, again, of what might happen if I let this opportunity, this deal, this relationship, this whatever slip away. And so the question I want to try to look at this morning in this psalm is, what are we supposed to do in these moments? where there's fear, and it's, it's hard to keep perspective. What does it look like to trust God on the ground, day to day, in the midst of fear? When you get the call, when you get the report back from the doctor, when your boss walks in with that look on her face, in that moment, what do we do? That fear of abandonment or rejection, that insecurity, whatever it is that causes you to be afraid, and that thing rises up within us, and it's familiar to most of us, of like, I've got to fix this, I've got to control this, how do we respond? Because I suspect that there will come a time in all of our lives as followers of Jesus, probably more than one, when you're, we're going to have to decide, do we do what God wants, or do we kind of let our fears drive us and push us in an attempt to keep life predictable, in an attempt to keep life the same. 
And yet maybe in the process we, we move away from what God wants or perhaps even over time walk away from him altogether. Well, David begins Psalm 27 in verse 1 by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, notice David gives his conclusion. He kind of gives his main point right up front. And if I'm honest, to me it sounds a little bit overly simple. David's just like, yeah, I mean, what do I have to be afraid of? Like he's never had to like wrestle with real life fear. But a quick study of David's life shows that there were plenty of circumstances and events and things that he could have easily freaked out over. For example, going up against Goliath with a slingshot. Goliath was a big guy. He was a little guy at the time, right? But a good reason to be afraid, good time for that. Or the seasons in his life when David was on the run from King Saul, a powerful man who got what he wanted and in this case wanted David dead. That's a good time to be afraid. Or all the military battles David faced with impossible odds. And so I mention that just in case you're tempted to write off David's perspective. Like what's he know about fear? Turns out a lot. He's not naive. He hasn't lived a perfect life. I mean, writing this from this vantage point, he's already experienced all of these moments, terrifying moments, when his life, when his future hung in the balance. And he gives us some examples, starting in verse 2. He says, when the wicked advance against me to devour me, it's my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, that just means to completely surround, right? There's no way out. My heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Notice the, the pronoun that he keeps using just to kind of give proportion to this. Notice he says, when the wicked advance against, not us, but me, to devour me. Or in verse 3, he, he doesn't say, though an army besiege us. He says, though an army besiege me. Though war break out against me personally. So these are pretty overwhelming circumstances he's facing. And, and David's going, I can't even imagine a way out of this. I'm besieged. I'm surrounded by an army, an enemy, uh, a problems on all sides. There's no way out of this on my own. Now, whether David is talking about present tense, like current situations he was facing, or whether he's looking down the road and kind of wondering what lies ahead, we know this. He's been through plenty of fear-inducing, panic, kind of causing circumstances. And he knows the future probably holds more of this, um, if anything. Skip down to verse 10. He says, though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Uh, at least poetically speaking, um, this is the idea of family fears and anxieties. You think about how much of our worries and fear and stress is connected to family dynamics or relationship issues, tensions with siblings, conflict with, you know, in a marriage or dating, issues with your kids, challenges caring for aging parents. We can relate to many of these things. Verse 11, he says, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes, 
For false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I don't know if you've ever been in like a conflict with someone and they just start spouting off all kinds of lies about you, about who you are, about what you've said or done. And you start to worry about your reputation. You start to fear the implications of these kinds of mistruths being spread about you. The point is, David experienced all of these reasons to panic, to be anxious, to be afraid. The problem, again, for us is fear usually causes, you know, a couple of different responses depending on a number of things, including our personalities. Some of us in these moments, uh, we panic. We just start making kind of decisions and, and reacting, trying to fix the situation, trying, trying to control it. Some of us, when we're afraid, start trying to leverage our influence. You start writing checks. You start making calls. You are on it. Um, it's why maybe, you know, sometimes people on the edge of financial ruin, in that moment, they feel like they need to take control, and so they make another bad financial investment slash gamble. And then in the end, it just makes things worse and complicates things more. But there's something in you and there's something in me that says, at times, I have got to do something now to stop whatever it is from happening. And we go with what's instinctive. We go with our feelings. We have to do something to get our lives back under control. Again, some of us, our greatest regrets come from this from panicking because of fear, because of circumstances, and we just start making decisions, we end up regretting. And looking back, we see, boy, I, I really complicated my life. I was, I was dumb. I lost perspective. I was driven by fear. So that's some of us. Others of us are on the other end of the spectrum, and when you're afraid, you kind of freeze up. You go into denial, you pretend like nothing's wrong, and your friends are all like, hey, how's it going? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. You're not fine. Uh, I can tell something's going on. I got to tell you, I can do both of these things, kind of depending on the situation and which thing will make everything worse, generally. So how does David avoid both extremes? He doesn't give in to temptation to just react out of panic and to try to control and fix everything. He also, he also doesn't allow his fear to paralyze him, like emotionally. He says, in spite of everything that I could point to, all the reasons that I have to be scared out of my mind, the war break out against me personally, he says, even then, I will be confident. My heart will not fear. He says, what or who, whom do I really have to be afraid of? So he lists all of these fear-inducing situations, and yet at the same time seems strangely composed, calm, even at peace. He possesses this kind of inner confidence. And he lets us in on this secret, starting in verse 4. And I, I, I want to show you this because David does something that very few of us actually do in these moments, in these situations, um, and how he responds to the fear, the, the natural feelings, it, it makes all the difference. So verse 4, he says this, one thing I ask from the Lord, 
This only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. So David says, there's one thing, one thing I'm seeking, one thing I'm focused on. And here it is. He says that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, that phrase, house of the Lord, in Hebrew, is just a reference to the temple. Um, But he's not talking about literally moving all his stuff into the church and just never leaving. Turns out they didn't actually let you do that back then. So he's not being literal, so something else must be going on. David is talking about dwelling in the presence of, the, the ongoing presence of God. To live with a, an awareness of God's presence. This idea is that when he was tempted to panic, and he had good reason for that, to react when his life, his future, his well-being was being threatened, David made the choice to move all of that anxious energy from powerlessness to focusing on the one who is powerful. I mean, if we were going to pick a word to boil it down to, it's this. He would, he would worship He would refocus his perspective and his hope in the Lord. He says a couple of different verbs here. He says that he's focused on to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That word gaze means to admire, to fix your attention on something. In other words, David made the choice to focus on who God is. And the last verb he uses, he says to seek the Lord in his temple, which means to get advice, to get counsel. David's like, the one thing that I want, he says several things, which is why it's confusing, but one of the things that I want is to make the will of God, discovering that, the driving force, the pursuit of my life, the focus. Then in verse 6, he says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. He's like, I got to get some perspective. I don't think I'm thinking clearly with, you know, all of this going on around me. I need help. I need clarity. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Notice with everything that he's facing, there's still some impulse somewhere within David, you know, no matter how faint, to reach out to God in spite of his fear. To seek the Lord. He says, your face, Lord, I will seek. Now that sounds maybe simple or you're not sure what to do with that. The reason why this is so important is because when, at least when I'm afraid, and maybe you're like me in this, I actually have a hard time doing this, turning my heart and my focus to God. I might turn my mouth to God in terms of my prayer. But my thinking, my heart, my mind kind of stays locked in on my circumstance and my problems. And oh boy, if I don't get in there and do something, what's going to happen? In other words, the genius of this, again, maybe you're like me, maybe not, but my heart, my focus kind of tends to stay locked in on all the wrong things, on what's going wrong and the circumstances, and the problem, and I need to do something, I need to get involved, and yeah, maybe my mouth starts talking to God in these situations. God, are you aware of my predicament? And oh God, help. And oh God, did you know? And of course, God's going, 
Why, no. Thank you for filling me in. I had no idea what was going on in your life. No, we all pray when we're afraid. That's not unique. You may not even believe in God, and yet when things go bad, we start praying to whoever, whatever, just in case. Uh, God, have you seen that my enemies have me completely surrounded? But again, there's this instinct to focus on me and what's wrong and my problem and especially my fear. And what makes David, I think, so unique in this? And again, I said very few of us do this. David, in this moment, says, no, I'm not going to go with just instinct. I'm going to start in a different place. And where he starts is, God, you are God. You are able. You are in charge. Everything is under your control because you're God. And I just want us to see that David is actually making a conscious decision to turn his heart, his focus, his attention, to kind of focus his eyes away from the problem and to fix his heart on his Father in heaven. And again, if you boil it down, that's essentially what worship is. It's what we're doing when we worship. It's, it's reflecting on, remembering who God is and what God has done. It's getting in touch with that, being in tune, standing in awe of who God is, what God has done, and then just reflecting that back in praise and thanks, giving that, expressing that back to God. And we see that's what David chooses to do in the midst of his fears. He chooses to turn his eyes and his focus to God. He chooses specifically to, I want to focus, I need more of God's presence in my life. He chooses to worship, which in this case includes uh, music and singing. Emphasis, by the way, on chooses, because let me tell you, that is not what at least I feel like doing in these moments. It's actually not the natural thing to do. But here is what turning our attention, here's what turning our focus to God does. It actually puts our fears in a much better, in, in their proper context. Because whether or not we think of it this way, the, the larger context for all of our fears, whether they're circumstances or finances or relational or health or whatever, actually the larger context for all of those fears, the big, big picture is the goodness the greatness, the power, the ability of God. It's why there are so many psalms where the psalmist is asking for help. Begin and end with the psalmist praising God for who he is, remembering who God is and what God has done. And so when you and I seek God, when we refocus our attention off of ourselves or the events or the circumstances or our past or our failures or whatever, and we begin to refocus our attention on the goodness, the greatness of God, what happens is we remember what God is actually capable of. It's the humility that says, God, we're powerless. We, we actually don't know what to do, but our eyes and our hearts are on you. And again, over time, as you do this, as you intentionally choose to focus on him, to seek him, as you remember God's goodness to you and the ways he's been faithful to you in the past, you know what happens in the process? Over time, uh, that big, scary fear 
it's not that it goes away, but that fear that like you couldn't even get your arms around at one point, it does begin to get smaller. It does begin to lose its power, uh, especially as it's measured against the goodness, the greatness, the power of God. And do you know what you'll experience in the process? Before your circumstances ever change, before the army is defeated, you'll experience peace. You'll experience the peace of God. And David understood that. And that's why his first line of defense was to turn his focus, his attention in God's direction. Now, here comes the hard part. Uh, Look how David ends this psalm in verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. That word wait must be important because he, he repeats it twice in that last line. Yes, we turn our focus, we turn our heart uh, toward God. We seek him. And then we wait. And we wait to see what God decides to do. Now, that's a tough one, and I don't want you to hear me say I'm advocating irresponsibility. Yes, there may be things eventually to do, but I'm talking about before we get to that, before we just start in right away doing and fixing and reacting, uh, what I'm saying is this. When you and I are afraid, remember how I talked about fear distorts our perspective? Many times uh, we get ideas in those moments that are counterproductive. A lot of times things come to mind, oh, I could do this to solve the problem, and at the end of the day, it's actually not helpful. When you're afraid, there's almost always a, like a knee-jerk reaction. We have this impulse to just respond, to do, and this is one of my problems. In these moments, I got to, I got to do something. I got to look busy, even if it's not the right thing, even if it's not helpful. I got to at least, you know, people need to see me in motion or whatever, Again, the challenge here is once we've turned our perspective to God, once God's beginning to give us that sense of peace like, oh, yeah, now I remember God is actually still in charge. The challenge is to wait and to wait before you start doing, fixing, solving, reacting. We have to wait and allow God to do what God's going to do. Now, listen. We actually don't trust God because we know what he will do. That's not why we trust God. No, we trust God because of who he is, what he's done, and what we know he's able to do. That's why we put our confidence in him. We actually don't have our trust in God because we know he's going to give us the roadmap and the, with videos and illustrations about what's to come. It's not why we trust him. We trust him because of who he is and what he's done, what he's done in Jesus, what he's able to do. You realize he's the only one who's actually able to rearrange many of the circumstances in our lives. He's actually the only one who's able to put a relationship back together or to, he's actually able to protect you or bring good out of bad or provide another opportunity or whatever it is. 
He's the only one who's able, ultimately. And so it makes sense, then, that we would put our, our hope and our trust in him. And I think what happens is a lot of times we get a, a couple of things confused. We confuse our inability to control stuff, and we get that mixed up with God's actual ability to do that. Uh, example here, do you guys ever watch people bowl? That, let me just tell you right now, that is people watching at its absolute finest. Um, people do the craziest things after the ball has left their hand, right? You watch them, they're leaning to one side, trying to somehow influence the ball that's in the lane. You guys know what I'm talking about? People hop on one foot, they do all this stuff to try to control something they absolutely have no control over whatsoever. And that's ridiculous. And yet, and yet, how often do we do the same thing with people and circumstances and events and things that we actually have no control over in our lives? And so trust is actually learning to transfer our confidence when it's in ourselves, it's in things we actually can't control, transferring that confidence into the one who is able, who can influence and control. And so that requires a bit of an adjustment. Um, yes, I'm responsible. Yes, God has given me responsibility, but he hasn't given me control. And I think maybe I'll throw this out there. <laughs> The root problem for a lot of us, why trusting God in these moments is so unbelievably difficult, especially when fear is involved. I think deep down, we have this, we've bought into this belief that maybe God's hands are tied, that his hands are tied. Like God's somewhere going, oh boy, if I could just get loose here, you know, somebody help me, I'm God, but my hands are tied. Or God's going, yep, you're right, <laughs> You're in trouble, and there's no way around it because we pray, and then we decide that God's hands are tied. I just want to say God's hands are actually not tied, that your boss doesn't tie God's hands, that all those people who we think, oh, we're at their mercy, they don't tie God's hands. If anything ties God's hands, I would suggest it's our unwillingness to put our trust in the one who is actually able. And for me, this gets a lot clearer when I think through the alternatives. Like, it, just as a thought experiment, if you're not going to trust God with these things that you can't control, um, what are you going to do instead? Well, to answer that, I am going to go with what I know for sure. Let's talk about that. <laughs> When we get so focused on the moment, on what we can see, my question is, I know it's a great opportunity now. What about a year from now? I don't know. I know you're staying in that relationship that's not healthy because you're afraid of what's going to happen and all the unknowns if you get out, but what about a year from now? I don't know. What if you don't react and let the person have it who's saying bad things about you. What's going to happen? I guess I, I actually, I think I know, but I actually don't really know. What if you don't panic in your financial crisis and do something foolish to fix your short-term problem? What's going to happen down the road? I have no idea. 
Okay, we tried that. What happens, what if you were to just go with God? Well, short term, it looks like disaster. Are you sure? No, I mean, I guess if I'm being honest, I don't really know that either. Uh, We don't know either way. We think we do, and our our fear kind of makes us think that we're prophets, that we know more about the future than we actually do. We feel like we know for sure, but we don't. And so what we do is we say in these moments at times, man, if, if I go with my fear, if I give in to my fear because I'm afraid I might miss out or it's not going to work out, so I'm going to move in that direction because of the, and I'm going to say to God, God, later, 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 can you please make it a little easier next time, by the way, and I'll be back around eventually. Do you know what you've done in that moment? We don't think of it like this at the time. But essentially, you've put your trust in someone or some offer or job or thing. We can't predict the future of for like 10 minutes. Like there's no guarantee. And essentially, we've kind of turned our back on the one, the one who is actually able. And haven't we all done this? And don't we all have stories of heartache and the times when we made a mess because in our fear, we panicked. We took control. We decided to get in there and fix that thing that was keeping us awake at night. And again, at the time, looking back, it seems so predictable. Um, maybe it was a deal that you, you knew it was like shady, maybe unethical, but you didn't really think of it that way. But you said, it's okay, God, I'll tithe on the money. <laughs> or we'll... We can do a deal, you and me, you know, after. The path at that time seems so predictable and clear. And and yet, months later, years later, what a disaster that was. All because I placed my trust in a controllable thing, person, deal, whatever. And in that moment, I abandoned the God who was able. Why would we be so short-sighted? to cast our future, our relationships, our finances, in some cases our whole lives, at the mercy of circumstances, things, people, whatever. We don't know where it's going. And so again, we don't trust God because we know what he's going to do. That's not the issue. If you're waiting for that, you're going to be waiting for a pretty long time. We actually don't even need to know that. We put our trust in, in the God who's able He's able, and that's enough. And so I think that's what David is saying throughout this psalm. I would rather, if I had to choose, cast my life and my future into the hands of a God who who can, who's able, rather rather than spend my life trusting people who claim to be able or claim to be in control. I would rather place my life, my trust, my destiny in the hands of a God who's able to try and control and manipulate using my gifts or personality or, if necessary, deceit. I would rather trust God not knowing what's going to happen than trust myself knowing I can't control the next 20 minutes. And so I would just say to you, if, if you're here and you're not a religious person or you don't know how or you're kind of unwilling to factor God into the equation of your lives, 
What that means is, is bottom line, that means you have to look in the mirror every morning as you face fearful circumstances. And you've got to say, I can handle this. I can handle this. And then you've got to do whatever you have to do to handle whatever comes your way. Because the truth is, if you really are convinced that you can handle it, the truth is, you have nothing to fear. But here's what I want to say to you if you fall in that category. If there ever comes a day in your life where you look in the mirror and, and you got to be honest and say, I can't handle this. I handled, it, I handled it up to this point, but now it's too much. I can't handle this anymore. I'm scared to death of losing control. I'm terrified of losing my family, my health, my financial security, him, her, whatever. God, if you're out there, I can't handle it. If that's you and you ever get to that place, then I actually have some really good news. That means you are actually in the perfect place to experience the grace, the presence, the power of God. That you've actually put yourself in a place to receive his direction, to invite his involvement in the whole thing. So David turns to God. He seeks God, and then he, he wants to know God's will for him as his enemies surrounded him, as fear was happening as a natural response. And then verse 11, he says, teach me your way, Lord. Eventually, there may actually be something to do. You may have a part here. After we've turned our attention, our focus to God, after we've waited over time, he's likely to give you direction. But I got to warn you here. When God gives you direction, especially in the midst of your fears, he actually might ask you to do some unusual things, not, not like irresponsible things, just unusual. And so I just want to say, be ready is all. He may, in fact, ask you to do some things that are very counterintuitive. So you're afraid of losing something or someone. He may very well say to you, let go. You're afraid of falling. He's going to say to you, jump. You're afraid of the relationship falling apart. He, he might say, open your hand. You're afraid of <clears throat> becoming poor or not accomplishing your financial dreams in time. He very well might say, hey, see that financial need over there? I want you to be the person who meets it. And it's going to be scary. Like, God, are you sure this is a good idea? And God's going, trust me. Didn't you ask me for help? Haven't I begun to give you peace? Haven't you waited on me? He's going to say, now, allow me to do the unusual. And then we watch as he does what only he can do in the situation. We're going to move into a time of communion. I want to invite Tyler to come back up, as well as our communion servers around the room. And here's what I want to invite us to reflect on. I have no idea what God's going to do in your situation. I do know that the fears that paralyze you, the fears that paralyze me, as long as we're focused on that fear, uh, we lose perspective. We're kind of dead in the water. But if you ever come to a place in your life, your faith, where you, were, you could honestly step back and say, God, 
I can't handle this. I don't know what to do with this. The good news is this. Your greatest fear, whether it's an insecurity, a circumstance, something from your past, your greatest fear is the place where God actually has a unique opportunity to work in your life. It's a chance for you to experience the presence and the power and the grace of God. If you were just to step back and to say, God, for me, it's fear. All I see is fear. For you, it's an opportunity. But for that to happen, like David shows us, we have to maintain our perspective. God, I don't want fear driving my life. I don't want it pushing me toward overreacting and freaking out on the one hand or, or freezing up on the other. And so God, help me, help me to turn my heart, my focus, my attention to you, even when I don't feel like it. God, help me to see my fears, not just like in the moment where I am, but to see them in the larger context of who you are, in light of your goodness, in light of your ability. And then God, help me wait and wait. And then, Lord, help me follow as you lead so that we can watch and see what God does in our lives. And so as we come to the table uh, this morning, the invitation is this. That circumstance, that uncertainty, that fear in your life, the thing that keeps you awake at night, whether it's something in the next few weeks or whether it's looming on the horizon as you look at like a brand new year, I want to invite you to take that situation, person, circumstance, whatever it is, that's pulling your focus away from, from him. It's got you focused on the fear and the what ifs and the worst case scenarios and all those things. And I would invite you to bring that in this time to Jesus. I mean, that's what worship is. It's turning our focus toward him. Remembering who he is and what he's done on our behalf. And so we come to the table and we remember that he promises to always be with us. We remember what, he's, what God has done for us. Paul in Romans has this whole chapter talking about the great lengths that God has gone through in Jesus to show up for us, to meet us where we are, to be in relationship with us, to redeem us, to give us a hope, to give us a future. And at the, the end of all that summary conclusion statement, Paul goes, if God is for us, who can possibly be against us? So I want to take I want to invite all of us to bring that fear, that circumstance, and to bring it to him and ask him to help us turn our attention toward him, to remember who he is, what he's done, and to wait on him who is able to do what only he can do. We have stations, uh, two in the front and one in each corner in the back. I'm going to pray, and then in just a moment, you'll be invited to come up and to take a piece of bread and to uh, participate that way. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, Lord, you know the fears that we have. Every single situation that's represented here. Lord, you know the history, the dynamics, the complexities around everything we're facing, whether it's health, financial, relational, something with our friends, our reputation. And Lord, I pray that you would remind us today of your faithfulness in the past to each one of us. 
your promise to be faithful in the future. And Lord, help us the best we know how to just release that fear, to put ourselves out there and to wait for you. Help us to seek your will. Lord, I pray that we could come to a place where we would be able to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Lord, help us to be able to say this morning, I'm done letting fear kind of run my life. Fear of the unknown, fear of losing control. Drive me in in my relationships, my decisions. Lord, help us to put our, our hope and our confidence in the one, you, who is able. We pray this in the name of the Prince of Peace, the name of Jesus, amen.